the blast from our past network. What's wonderful about the air, James? Very fresh. No germs. Why, why do you think there aren't any germs in the air? This is October, right? April. What year is this? What year do you think it is? 1996. That's the future, James. Do you think you're living in the future? 1996 is the past. No, 1996 is the future. This is 1990. Talking Back. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Talking Back, the podcast where we like to chat about past achievements in movies, comics, video games, and more. I'm your host, Tim. And this week we are covering the movie 12 Monkeys from 1995. Co-host Dean is here as well. Welcome, Dean. What's up? Thanks, Tim. I'm uh, super pumped to cover 12 Monkeys. It's one of the first DVDs I ever owned. Um, and I just like watched the shit out of it because I had like three DVDs. So I just kept watching them every single day. Um, so I'm super pumped to do this like pretty weird movie like it's got like such a weird feeling to it and i kind of really dug it when i was a teenager so uh i was i was super happy to get back into that feeling yes we have the same experience there i okay watched the shit out of my dvd um the same dvd i've had for probably over 20 years i watched it watched it again for this viewing and on this viewing dean my suspicions about me and this movie were correct I'm obsessed with it, completely obsessed. Okay, okay. I cannot get enough of it. I love it. Nice. I think it is just a gem of a movie, and I had a wonderful time watching it again. Yeah. Yeah, I had a wonderful time as well, and it really comes down to just, like, the the feeling of it. I just, like, like how it feels. Um, I think the stuff going on in the movie is really cool, too, uh, but it's not like it... For some reason, that's the thing that doesn't really sell me on it. It's just like the whole kind of vibe combined with that is what really what really gets me. So many different areas of this movie just stood out for me. The acting is amazing. The writing is amazing. The pure imagination of this movie is amazing. The sets and locations, they're amazing. The pacing, guess what? Amazing. You know what I'm going to say. Um, but... All of it is also integrated so well together. You know, you can have all those things in the movie and have it not really work still, but the way that they just intertwined everything so well, they made a real masterpiece here. Something that really stuck out for me this time was contrast. And I'm just going to use that mm. in a general term, but this movie has so much contrast in it that it blew my cool. mind when I realized that yeah. this time. But 
Nice. You were talking about how this movie makes you feel. Dean, I read an amazing quote from somebody about this movie, which really resonated with me. The lady described this movie as taking place in no place and in no time, which she then connected to the same feeling of time and place that you get from a fairy tale. And I absolutely love that description of this movie because never before would I have described this movie as a fairy tale. But Mm. hearing that, it totally makes sense. Just the feeling of disorientation and being out of place is exactly what this movie is all about. So I I loved that quote. Yeah, definitely. And uh, you don't really know, you know, when present is you know when present day is you don't really know you can't really tell like how it really you know you don't get to see a lot of that so you can't really you can't really place it you can't really place it in a time and then the disorientation that you get um that the movie like gives you uh puts you right in the character's shoes you know puts you right in the the shoes of you know bruce willis who's gonna be kind of all over the place in this movie um and i think it's uh i think the way the movie's told to you does such a good job of putting you in that kind of place, putting you in that kind of uh, uh, place that just makes you feel like, where am I? What's going on? Like, what what's this person saying to me? It, it, it's really good. Yeah, great job of what's real, what isn't real. You, you yeah. have no idea as this movie is going on what the hell's happening. What's re like? What's 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 the truth? You know, we don't know. Is the main character here James Cole? Is he traveling through time? Or is this all just in his head? And they utilize the supporting characters really well to push and pull him in different directions to keep us questioning all the way through until the very end of the movie, what is true, what's not true, and what is happening? Yeah, I would say they do that very uniquely because I wouldn't say they hide it from us, you know, that it is that he's actually time traveling i don't think they hide that from us i think they show us that he is and then through his progression in the movie we then start to doubt it which i think is just really cool it's such a cool way to tell that story instead of leaving it as a mystery the entire time where we really have no idea they kind of show us that it is true and then try to pull us back away from it it's really cool well they do a great job of presenting both cases and uh letting you kind of not even figure it out for yourself, but really live it as it's happening in the movie uh, all the way in, all the way until the end when they do kind of clear cut, tell you what's going to ha- like what's happening. Yeah, for sure. I think there's a couple unexplained things that happened that sort of tell me tip me off that he's definitely time traveling and that happens like pretty early on in the movie. So those things for me are like, OK, it's actually happening. And now I just have to watch with the with the character. Uh, I've I've seen it so many times that I just don't remember all my feelings of, of the early viewings of this movie. For but sure. Yeah. Th- this is a great one just to, you know, see the first time and try to absorb. If anybody hasn't seen this movie, I highly recommend turning off this podcast and going to watch it. It's just, it's really, really great. Uh, if you don't have time for that, then we'll uh, do our best to explain it here for you. But it was released in 1995 with a budget of $30 million. And this film is a just a massive hit, grossing 170 million, 
which is incredible. It's very surprising for this type of movie in 95. But I'm not surprised because of the cast. When you look at who's involved, that kind of alerts me to where, you know, the money came from. And I'll tell you what, like Brad Pitt, Bruce Willis, that's the reason I went to see this movie in the theater. It was for them. I didn't know anything about it. I went for them. For sure. 170 million is is completely shocking. It's bananas. Uh, I didn't look it up. I didn't look it up beforehand. That really, really shocks me. I think if you would have me guess, I would have guessed 60 and thought that might have been high. Yeah, like, I would have guessed 60. Yeah. Yeah. 170. But you're right. Like Bruce Willis, uh, Brad Pitt. So you're thinking blockbuster, right? But this isn't, it's it's not a blockbuster. It's a really weird movie. Cool, like a cool aesthetic to it. It's it's a really cool feeling. But those names would get people in the theater. But still, 170? That must mean people are telling, you know, their friends and stuff that is like, oh, this is good. You got to go see it. It's interesting. So I think the mix of the, you know, the, the blockbustery cast doing interesting roles and then like the cool story must have just kept bringing people to the theater. Yep. Uh, I think this movie could get rewatched as well because you you don't really know what's going on the first time. You need to watch yeah. this again to really understand it. So I can definitely see that being part of the uh, the the money. That's why that's why I was obsessed with it as a teenager. I was obsessed with movies that I needed to rewatch. It was like this and Matrix and Memento. Those were the movies that I just kept watching over and over because I wanted to figure them out. Yeah. So you have Bruce Willis who by this time is already a household name for three Die Hard movies and his role in Pulp Fiction. He did the movie for free just to work with director Terry Gilliam. And That's amazing. That is amazing. And he ended up getting paid something. Uh, he must have had like points in the movie uh, because what I read was that after the movie was released, he got paid some amount of money, but he basically did it for no fee, which I think is really wow. cool. A lot of the people involved did it at um, reduced rates just to work with Terry Gilliam, which is really cool. That's really cool. Gilliam is such an interesting director, so that's awesome. Yeah. You have Brad Pitt, who breaks through as a mega star the year before this comes out with his performances in Interview with the Vampire and Legends of the Fall. And three months before 12 Monkeys comes out, Seven is released. Okay. So... Pitt actually signed on for this movie before he did those other three movies. So he wasn't able to cash in on his fame and he got paid a pretty low rate because it was paying for the Brad Pitt just before he became huge. For sure. Yeah. Interesting. Hmm. But he was nominated for best supporting actor at the Academy Awards for this role. Okay. They got one other nomination, and it was the lady who did the costume design. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's cool. I just to like shortly speak on his performance. I think it is fantastic. Um, he's he's obviously incredible in the movie. Uh, I just like for the character for me. I don't. I'm not always on, like on board with. I'm not always sold with the character. Sometimes I am. I think it's just like the extremely manic nature, you know, which is why he's getting that nomination because it's so good. He's doing such a good job, but sometimes it loses me, you know, so um, I'm in and then I'm not with his character. But yeah, great, great job at it. I loved it. I think it's his best uh, physical role, in my opinion. Yeah, for sure. And I think it's so great uh, what he does because of the contrast that they're using him for in the movie. So that's the second time I'm going to mention contrast, but I think that's, I think he, 
he's meant to make us feel uncomfortable to contrast other things that are happening. Yeah, for sure. Along with those two dudes, you have Madeline Stowe, who was quietly making a name for herself in the early 90s with Unlawful Entry, The Last of the Mohicans, and Bad Girls. And, I mean, I can't imagine anybody else in this role. I I just thought she did such a fantastic job. Uh, Like, it feels like she thinks she's in, in the movie for real, is how I feel about her performance. Yeah, she's great. It's it's pretty difficult. I would say it's a pretty difficult role to sell it. Um, there's a couple moments in this movie where you're like, you should be be you should be saying like, what are you thinking? You should be like screaming that at this at the screen, but you're not really because she sells it so hard. Uh, I think she's incredible at it. I think she's uh, yeah, she really really uh, excels at this role. I think she has a really large emotional scale as an actress. And that really comes out in this role. She's able to hit, she's able to hit, you know, many different levels of emotion that are needed from this character and they need to be believable and she pulls them off. Yeah, for sure. She, uh, she didn't really, you know, I, I I don't know her too well. I don't know her stuff, you know, too well. Um, I think so, so for me, I think she could have been in, you know, she could have been in more than, than she actually was, but maybe it's just me who, who doesn't know her movies very well. I mean, I'm not too familiar with her. Yeah. Uh, I did see Unlawful Entry and Last of the Mohicans. Yeah. I don't same, really yeah. re- remember her. I mean, I kind of remember her in Unlawful Entry. So I, I, I think she's really good. I think she's solid. Yeah. I just don't think she went on to do a lot of stuff. Yeah. She gives me like Laura Linney vibes. And yeah. like, I feel like Laura Linney's in a lot more stuff that I saw. So I, I, I maybe that, you know, maybe there just wasn't enough roles, you know, out there for her and Laura Linney to both take. But uh yeah, she's great. She's great in this movie. Yeah. Music by Paul Buckmaster, who didn't work on many movies, but he is a legendary arranger and composer in the music industry. He's worked with a list of who's who in the in the music industry. And the music in this movie was just such a perfect fit for this weird world that we enter into. It's so strange, Tim. I've been like, I've been... I mean, I was going to say humming it, but I've been like sort of annoyingly singing it loudly in my home (laughs) as I've been walking around. And my wife's just like, what are you doing? Like, what is that noise? What are you singing? And I'm like, oh, it's the it's the music from 12 Monkeys. Yeah, it's really cool. It's so weird. (laughs) Now, a bit of background. 12 Monkeys is based on a 1962 French short film titled La Jetée. And I watched that short film before I watched 12 Monkeys this time. It was fascinating. Oh, cool. Wow. I highly recommend watching that, especially if anybody out there is planning on watching 12 Monkeys again. If we inspire you to go and watch 12 Monkeys, watch La Jetée first. It's spelled L-A. That's how you spell La, in case you didn't know. And then Jetée is J-E-T-E-E. It's on YouTube. It's 30 minutes. Check it out, man. It's awesome. It's It utilizes black and white still images rather than recorded video to tell the story, which made for some real, real powerful visuals. And cool. it's, it's really well made. It is basically this story of 12 monkeys told in a kind of a completely different way. And in in a shorter amount of time, it has a very Twilight Zone-esque quality to it. Really cool. 
Very cool. I, I will sort of piggyback onto that. If you if you like that short film and then you go watch 12 Monkeys and you like 12 Monkeys, you should watch Vertigo after, which is a movie they watch in this movie. They're in the theater watching Vertigo. Yeah. And there's lots of sort of it is a much different plot and storyline, but there's a lot of similar themes going on. So that's why I really like that they included Vertigo um, in this movie. And uh, yeah, if you if you like that sort of uneasy creepiness um, not really sure what's going on, not really sure who to trust, that kind of idea. I think this movie is indebted a lot to Vertigo, um, which is great that they, you know, had the characters watching it in the movie. Um, so I would say go watch Vertigo if you like 12 Monkeys. Cool. There were also some like direct references to Vertigo in this movie. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Now the movie starts out, it's a very dreamlike quality opening to this movie where we start on an extreme close-up of a boy's eyes who watches a man get shot and a woman run over to the man and we can clearly see the boy's face but we can't see the faces of the man or the woman now this sequence becomes a reoccurring sequence in the movie so we'll we'll bring it up a few times but each time that we're going to bring it up and that it happens in the movie, an important detail has changed, which was neat. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Then we are introduced to Bruce Willis playing James Cole. Dean, what did you like about this opening? Uh, so, yeah, I like that. Um, I, I like the whole setup of the world kind of, you know, they do it. They do the the world setup very quickly. Um, and kind of just give you what you need to know at that time. And that's he's a prisoner um, and the prisoners will just be selected to do something and they call them volunteers. You know, it's like, oh, you vo they just tell them that they volunteered, which is not what volunteering means. Um, so they'll just <laughs> no. tell them that they volunteered to go do something and they have to go up to the surface because um, this prison is underground. So. I love that, you know, I'm just getting like, I'm getting everything about this world. Okay, there's a prison underground. They have to go up to the surface. It's not safe. So they send the prisoners up uh, up to the surface to collect uh, specimens. They collect like uh, bugs, you know, they collect different bugs. They're supposed to like basically um, collect stuff that the scientists can, you know, test and work, but work on. But they're in like these hazmat suits. Uh, really reminds me of Wool, Tim, a, a comic that you showed me that 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 Definitely. you love, that we love. Um, it just, I love this idea, this idea that there's, you know, there's something to do, and it's not safe, so they get the prisoners to do it. You know, that's the world we're living in in this movie, and I get it right away. So, it talk about like an introduction that just grabs me right away. There's, totally. There's, I'm just into the movie immediately, like immediately into it. And I just want to know more about this character. We don't actually really get a lot of Bruce Willis, um, but I just want to know more already. I want to know, like, why was he selected? Why is he out there doing it? You know, what's going to happen after? Um, what is he even collecting? Why are there animals up there? How come the animals are fine, but the humans aren't? There's just like, it's such an amazing job of world building in like five minutes. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. I'm happy you said the world building part because they do such a great job at that. Just yeah. on, on my end of it, it's the visual nature of the world that they've created. It's amazing. Like they're, they're underground, like you mentioned, like in the sewers where there's pipes, there's small pipes, there's giant pipes, you know, they're walking through pipes. Um, James Cole starts off in a cage, a small cage. 
And yeah. we, we see hundreds of cages like that. There's all sorts of prisoners, you know, slash volunteers. Before he goes outside, he meets with a panel of scientists. You know, they're, they're talking to him about, this is what you have to do out there. It was really interesting. Yeah. Um, the whole area down there felt very cramped. Um, you know, rusty colors. It just, it felt so interesting and unique. It really did feel like a different planet in a way. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, different planet is a good point. It did feel like we might be, we might be on a different planet um, just because of, the, it just felt so alien. It's meant to be the future, but it feels like something even yeah. way further off than that. For sure, yeah. I will call out to the music um, in in the movie, not not like the composed music that is so great, but the actual songs, the licensed songs that they put in this movie, because it's a huge contrast to what's happening in the movie. This is mm -hmm, something yeah. I mentioned in one of our previous episodes, um, Run Lola Run, where there's really, really intense scenes that happen, and then the music that they place doesn't fit, right? It's like super calm and relaxing music in a very high tense situation. I love when those things happen, when they do that in movies. This movie does it. And the very first um, example of it is here when he's on the surface walking through the snow. You very subtly hear Silent Night playing for about four or five seconds. It's just so yeah. you could easily miss it if you're not paying attention for it, but it it makes you feel so strange. Yeah. You see snow and you hear Silent Night. And for us in Canada, that just means it's Christmas time. Right. That's the vibe I get, which is a really weird vibe to give me, you know, in the movie here. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Now, the next thing we know, James Cole is in a mental health facility uh, and the movie sits here in this facility for several scenes. Now, I really like this facility as a setting in the movie because the character of James appears to be suffering from delusions throughout the movie. So it makes sense to kind of like place us here, you know, a, a, maybe a place that he belongs or he should be if, you know, he's in this state of mental health. Yeah, what I what I really like about it is that um, like they just kind of throw us right into it. So we don't really know this until we start hearing some of the characters talk about it. Um, but like, he's going to be just telling people that he's from the future. Right. So it, it's just, it, it's, if we heard that, what would we do? We'd, we'd say that that person's, you know, experiencing delusions. <laughs> that's what we would say. We wouldn't think that they're actually from the future. So I love that. That's where we end up right away is that, you know, he's, he's, telling everyone he's on a mission. He has to save the world. Everybody's going to die. Uh, you know, he's got things to do. He can't be in this in this cell. He can't be in this hospital because he's got things to do. So, of course, what are they going to do? Keep him there because they're of not going to believe that that's... Yeah, they're not going to believe that that's what it is. Like, they, they, I, I just really like it. I really like that they throw him right into, you know, that, you know, he's telling people right away. So no one's going to be believing him and this is where we're going to end up. We learned that James is in there because he assaulted five police officers and he's introduced to Madeline Stowe, who's playing Catherine, a psychiatrist who's assigned to him. And yeah, like you get this introduction and it doesn't go so well for James, obviously. Right. Because 
He's in this clear plastic outfit. It looks like he's wearing like saran wrap or something. He's, yeah. he's drooling because he's been sedated. He's got blood all over him. He's mumbling about the germ-free air and how great it smells. Right. And that he's a really good observer and he's got to go. Like I, he doesn't have time for this conversation. He's got to yeah. go. It's yeah. really, really great acting by Bruce Willis. And he tells Catherine he thinks it's 1996. That, but that's the past for him, he says. And she tells him 1996 is the future. He's actually in 1990. So cue the confusion. Yeah, it's just a, it's another great small detail to like make sure that he that everyone thinks he's should be should belong in this hospital is that he thinks it's a different year than it is because he's being sent back in time so he would know what year he's supposed to be sent back in time to yeah and but they got it wrong they got the date wrong that they sent him to so he's he's even confused about the year it is so that's really just enough to make them go like okay yeah you belong in this hospital he thinks it's or he yeah, it's supposed to be 1996. He thinks it's 1996, but it's 1990. They're both the past. They're both the past, Tim. Those idiots always get it wrong. They're always sending him to the wrong time. Yeah, they are. They How are horrible at it. They're terrible at it. And they give him a hard time. Come on. They just shoot him in a tube and they're just like, yep, we. you're going to the right place. Yeah. So in the facility, James meets Jeffrey. Uh, incredible. Brad Pitt performance here we mentioned yeah. already. Yeah. I really do like now that we're like in the general population of this facility, I really like what they're doing to make us feel uncomfortable. They're doing really strange camera movements. They're like zooming in and twisting the camera into people's faces. They're doing extreme close-ups on people's faces. Yeah. There, there's a TV playing the whole time and it's playing like Looney Tunes or something, some sort of cartoon. And there's all sorts of weird noises going on, like boings and bops and like laughter and weird cartoon sounds that don't really fit with what we're watching. And it just all of it together makes you feel really uncomfortable in that moment. And then you throw in Jeffrey here, who's very good at making people feel uncomfortable because he is just a legendary outburster in this movie. Yeah, yeah. He's really high on conspiracy theories. He loves those. And then he always starts talking nice and slow and calm about something and very quickly works himself into a full-on out-of-control outburst. That is just what happens in every scene with him, and it's great. The escalation is incredible. How he just can sort of start getting excited about anything like just whatever he's talking about he just kind yeah. of starts to slowly raise his level and then he's just flipping things he's throwing things he's like flipping flipping game boards over it's great i love it he's so good at it um this whole yeah this whole area is so um it's so off-putting because of all that because of all that all that camera angles and weird noises going on everyone like well at least bruce willis i don't know if i didn't really know if anyone else was but he's so drooly in a lot of the scenes because like he's on meds and it's like that's just like a weird thing to look at right just someone with this like giant drool hanging from their mouth it's like why isn't anyone taking care of these people why is anyone cleaning that up and making sure they're okay it's uh it's very off-putting environment um yeah which is exactly where this movie wants us to be so it's it's so perfect yeah, he's drooling because he's violent. He's a violent um, yeah. prisoner. 
So they've yeah. got him heavily sedated, which is what's yeah. going on there. I, I don't think anybody else is really sedated. Uh, Jeffrey obviously gets sedated after every outburst, but um, th- that's why James is sedated. But I, I really like the combination of the two in this facility for that reason. Jeffrey is going bananas all the time. And James, he's quiet. He's confused. You know, he's the like almost the opposite. They're almost like opposite characters in this moment. Yeah. So I, I sure. really, I really liked it for that reason, for how just chill James is and how wild Jeffrey is. Yeah. But getting back to Jeffrey and what what he does in some of his outbursts, in one scene, he's going on about how germs would have been seen as a crazy idea like a hundred years ago. You know, if you were the one who said, look, there's tiny little things that we can't see called germs and they make you sick and that's why you're getting sick. He says people would call you crazy. So he loves that one because now he can say crazy is like a relative term, right? What's crazy? If that was crazy and then it became true, what's to say that his his conspiracies aren't crazy? So I I like that from him. But again, he works himself up too much. He, <laughs> the orderlies come in because he's screaming. He pulls his pants down and he moons them. And then he's destroying pillows. He's throwing feathers all over the room, screaming and jumping up and down on beds. It's just yeah. really great stuff out of him. Yeah, it's a great scene um, in, its, in its sort of entirety with him and with Bruce Willis's stuff. Um yeah, I, I love this. I love what he's saying about the germs because like this is what's happening with Bruce Willis right now. He has information that is actually like true and everyone just thinks he's crazy because they don't understand what he's saying because they don't know about time travel yet or anything like that. So they, they don't understand. It's just like, yeah, of course you're crazy. Crazy just means they don't understand what you're what level you're at yet. You know, <laughs> I love that. I also love this Bruce Willis what's going on with him in this scene because um he's been sent on all these missions and he's like he's this prisoner right so we're like why is he sent on these missions and he's been saying that uh he's sent because he has a good mind he's Um, a good observer is what he keeps saying he's a good observer and he has a good memory he can like remember things that's why they like yeah that's why they gave him like the phone number to call because he can remember the phone number so he knows the dates he knows the things he's supposed to do but he like comes across a spider and like that was his job at the beginning was to collect like bugs. So he grabs the spider and it's a very scary spider. It's a huge it's a big spider. spider. <laughs> it's a big spider. I would be afraid. Of, I'm not really afraid of spiders. I would be afraid of that spider. And he grabs that spider and he doesn't have anywhere to put it. He's looking for somewhere to put it and he doesn't have any place. So he eats it. And he thinks yeah. like that's going to be good enough for the scientists to be able to like get whatever their samples from for him to eat it and he like it's not gonna work his body's gonna destroy that bug i think Um, he realized that though he realized it i think he realized it because okay there's like later on when he's talking to the scientists again he he goes over that he's like yeah yeah like i tried to collect something i even got a spider and i ate it but you know i think he realized that like it wasn't gonna work but just in the moment yeah, he yeah. sees the spider and he's like, okay, I can take this back. I can take it back with me. But then the orderlies burst in and he couldn't, he didn't have enough time to figure out what to do with it. So he just ate it, you know, as a reaction. Okay. Uh, and, okay. Then, and then I think he realized right away, like, well, that's not going to work. Like they can't pull that out of my stomach or anything. 
Yeah, I like that. My my take was that because uh, the scientists kind of rolled their eyes when he said he ate it. So my my take on it was that he this is why he's just the observer, you know, and why a scientist will have to be sent in later because he doesn't even know that he can't eat a bug and they can get like, oh. he thinks that he can hold it in his body and they can still get the DNA. So I, th- I thought it was telling us like, this is not the scientist type guy, but this is the guy who's going to get the initial information for them. When he was explaining it to, to them, um, he wasn't excited about it. He was like, right. okay. he, was, yeah, that's he true. was down about it. He was disappointed he, in himself. Yeah, yeah. I think if he was like, he would have been, if he was more, if he thought it was going to work, he would have been like, oh, I like, I got a spider for you guys. It's in my stomach. You know, you can get it. And then they may right. then like rolled their eyes and be like, well, we can't get that. That's useless. But he was kind of like, he delivered it in a down way. Like he knew it wasn't going to work. It was like the best he could do, but he knew it wasn't going to work. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. he's, it's almost like he wanted them to know he's trying. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Cool scene here where we see James in front of a panel of doctors at the facility and I really liked it because it was very similar to him being in front of the panel of scientists in the future. Yeah. And James asks them if they've seen the sign of the army of the 12 monkeys. And he goes on to explain that 5 billion people died in 1996 and 1997. And they're obviously having a hard time believing him. And James says if he could just make a phone call, he can clear all this up. So they let him make a call, but he quickly realizes the number isn't going to work because he says he was sent to the wrong year and that number he's supposed to call isn't in place yet. Yeah. And then we get that dream sequence again from the beginning. And then James is back in his own time, back in apparently the future. And he's brought before the panel of scientists. They play a message for him that they say they had to piece together like a jigsaw puzzle and they want to know if he was the one that left it. So it's interesting because he just made a call. He got kind of like the wrong number. It didn't work. Yeah. But he gets right back to the future and they're saying, we got a message. Was it from you? So I thought that was interesting, uh, putting those back to back. But the message says, The Freedom for Animals Association on 2nd Avenue is the secret headquarters of the Army of the 12 Monkeys. They're the ones who are going to do it. I can't do any more. I have to go now. Have a Merry Christmas. James tells them he couldn't leave a recording because they sent him to the wrong year. They sent him to 1990. So that wasn't him. They ask him if he wants another chance, and he agrees. And Dean, we've talked about this future world already, but yeah. I did want to yeah. I want to touch on one of the things I love that I couldn't mention before. We talked about how much we love just the style uh, of the world, right? For sure, yeah. It looks like a shithole. For know? sure, yeah. It it, yeah. it looks like they probably have trouble generating electricity. They probably have yeah. trouble keeping food cold. You know, I get the feeling like they take dumps and holes in the ground. Oh, yeah, definitely. But they have the the technology to travel through time. Yeah. Which is another severely contrasting thing in this movie, is that a society like this would be able to travel through time but not have these other comforts. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's a good point. It it just makes... Go ahead. 
Well, it's just going to say that that just kind of reminded me, like, because we we talked at the beginning of like whether these things are going on in in, you know, Bruce Willis's character's head or whether they're actually happening. And when we flipped from 1990 to this this future time now, um, you know, Cole was chained down uh, in, in like at, in that hospital because he had started to get a little violent. So he was chained down and then he just disappeared. He wasn't in that room anymore. So I think that was sort of telling the audience like, yeah, he this is actually happening. He actually did just go back into the future now. Um, so then when we see scenes of him getting sent into the past, um, you know, when we when we see the society that has time travel and we see him get sent in the past, like I'm believing all this. I'm believing everything I see here that this is like this is how the future is. Yeah, I mean, I think they did a good job making you believe that is the future, uh, whether or not in the movie you wanted to believe it for yourself is another another story. Like you could you could choose to believe that the time travel is true. They do kind of lean towards that in the movie. But it is open, I think, if you want to just let yourself be taken away by the movie. Um, they do enough to make, you know, to make you think that it could be either or. Yeah, but how would he disappear, though? Because, like, all the characters in, the, well, in that time also saw it, also saw him disappear. Well, he escaped, right? He escaped. But he was, he was tied to the bed. Right, like. right. So the the psychiatrist said, so you want me to believe that this heavily yeah. sedated guy who was chained down somehow escaped, got up to the ceiling and is crawling through a vent. Yeah. I think what's interesting is he laid out the exact escape route That's that would true. have to happen. Right. That's true. If, if we and just all staring at the vent. Yeah, they're staring at the vent. If we if That's we're true. if we're left in that room and they don't give us an explanation about what happened, they say there's no way out of this room. What could have happened? Um, then I would have been like, well, that could have for surely happened, but they actually lay out the possibility of what could have happened. Yeah, I'm down with it because they do that later too. When he disappears again later, they do that too. They're like, did you do this? Um, which is a way that he could have, you know, disappeared from everyone's view. So yeah. And, and cool. also later on, they say he couldn't have just disappeared and he didn't yeah. disappear. He actually just ran away because you see him running away in the forest. To them, it looked like, I'm talking about when he goes to see Jeffrey later on and they oh, can't true. find yeah, him. Yeah, right, they, right. They yeah, say yeah, he, he couldn't have just disappeared. Uh. He didn't disappear. He was running. He actually escaped. He was oh, running shit. through the, the world. The shit, woods. that's good. That's good shit. Yeah. Because then he disappears like minutes later after that. Yeah, then he does, um, yeah. But he could have just been running through the woods. Oh, Tim, good stuff. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to say also about the world that um, that, that whole time travel in this dumpy society it's just another one of these things that makes this world feel so uniquely bizarre. And like, I get it. Yeah. If it's the future. It shouldn't be much of a surprise that maybe they have this more advanced technology. Um, but at the same time, humanity was destroyed and they can't live on the surface and the resources underground are limited. So it does yeah. make sense. It's just a really odd mix. Yeah, it's an odd mix. They got the tech, but they don't have the other things. You know, they don't have the the food. They don't have the the plumbing. You know, <laughs> or at least we assume they're shitting in holes because they live in a hole. Um, yeah, they don't have the stuff that the surface would have would have provided them. But they got all this tech somehow that they're able to make this time machine. So cool. I got the vibe that you could shit anywhere there. It in just the corner didn't matter. It, it didn't, didn't matter. matter. Yeah. <laughs> I got that vibe too, Tim. There's just shit everywhere. 
<laughs> I got the vibe. It smelled really bad there. It's yeah, it smells bad. It smells bad. I'm just like, I'm just like reeling here thinking that it could have been all in his mind now because I, the, the, not that it is, but like the, the moments that you, that I thought were clearly telling us that he's not, I am now backpedaling on because I think that you're right. They give us those explanations. So now I'm just going through the whole movie in my head trying to figure out what exactly happened. Okay. Well, I'm glad you're coming around. I believe they do tell us at the end. They specifically tell us what the truth is. Um, There's a couple scenes at the end that do it. Those scenes were actually going to get cut out of the movie. So it did feel more like possibly like a loop that was left open-ended and you didn't know exactly what happened, but they did put the scenes in to tell you this is what happened. Okay. So we'll get there when we get there. Yeah. Cause I've seen this movie like 25 times and I've never thought that it would all be in his head. I always thought whenever they talk about that, that it's like, you know, that's, it's not the case. I I know that it's not the case because you showed me that it's not the case, but, uh, okay. I'm not, but I'm on, I'm on board now because of, yeah, that whole wood scene. I'm on board. Yeah. I was, I was different then. I was the opposite. Dean, we're contrasting in our uh, opinions of the movie here because I, does that mean this podcast is great? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. Uh, I I was always of the mind, um, especially early on in my viewings that both were presented equally in a very, very good way. Uh, there, there weren't many holes, um, and I liked it. That's just, awesome. you had to watch it yeah. a few times to decide what exactly is going on. Even after seeing the ending, I had to go back and see, you know, what, what's all true. What's not true. So I love For it. For sure. Yeah. Cool. Now cool. that I've seen it like 1700 times, I, I mean, I feel like I know exactly what's going on, but it takes 1700 viewings to get there. Yeah. The scientists here, they tell James that they'll let him go. They'll let him try again. But he better not screw it up this time, which I think is hilarious. These scientists, these snooty scientists who can't even send him to the right year, they think it should be so easy for whoever they send to the future to just go and do the mission, even though they're sending that person with no clothes, no money, nothing at all. And then they get mad at James when he can't complete his task. It's like, what did you expect? You dumped him in the street naked with a mission to like kind of save the world. Yeah. What what are you expecting? What are you expecting? What is he going to do? He he's naked. As as, he's he's talking about the future. He's going he's going to go to a mental a mental hospital. They do not prepare him at all. And as soon as he comes back, they're just like, "What you didn't they solve it? You him. didn't figure yeah. You didn't figure out. You didn't figure out what." what the virus is and yeah, where it's from it out. did What's you wrong get with you did you get distracted by women and drugs is yeah. that what happened did you get distracted by women and drugs and exactly. he's like well they did give me drugs but it was against my own will yeah i love those conversations because so james is so yeah. matter of fact it's like you know i didn't yeah i'm trying really hard here and it, you know it's not working out you know they're giving me drugs and all this stuff and they're just like oh my goodness he's taking drugs this guy we send him to the future he's just having a party over there you know such a criminal or uh, I guess, no, they're not sending him to the future. They're sending him to the past. But yeah, it's it's just, I, I really like the way that they kind of like position the scientists in this movie. I think it's really funny. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So the scientists say they're going to send him to the third quarter of 1996 on the money. They've got it dialed in. And 
They send him to the First World War. <laughs> Oops. They, this they is fucking this suck. Is funny. It's funny. It was this was great editing because <laughs> they're just so specific. They're like, we've got it yeah. right this time. We're gonna send you right here, right now. And then they just cut to him in the war. Naked in the war. Yes. So as weird as this movie is, it does have very funny parts like that. Definitely. Because like Terry Gilliam is, you know, he did the first Monty Python movie. He did a couple Monty Python movies. So he's got this humor to him, this humor that's like that type of thing. You know, that feels like a Monty Python thing, just like telling you exactly where you're going to send them. And it's just totally off. And it's so funny because we believe it because, you know, he, they already made the mistake. They already yeah. made the mistake of sending right. them to 1990 and they didn't know it. So they're like, OK, we got you. We got you dialed got in this. and you're all getting pumped up. Boom, way further, <laughs> even way worse. And at that point, I'm just yelling at the screen. I'm like, these scientists suck. They, they fucking suck. He's got guns pointing at him. There's explosions <laughs> happening everywhere. He's he naked. <laughs> He's in like the French trenches. It's not even Yeah, English. he doesn't speak French. He doesn't speak French. <laughs> um, really funny, though, he bumps into his buddy, his old buddy from the cage, his cage neighbor. Yeah, cage mate. Jose. He's yeah. he's there. So I thought this was another really cool aspect of the movie is For that sure. it's not just James in the past on this mission. They've sent a whole bunch of different volunteers or yeah. or that side of the movie, like that aspect of the movie, the time travel side would have you believe. Seeing the volunteers in these other timelines, it also helps build the argument that it is all in James's head because if these are his delusions, they would go wherever his mind goes. They'd be there with him, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's totally, totally, Tim. I, I'm, I'm like starting to think of other things, of reasons why it's like definitely time travel. And I'm thinking the bullet, you know, J James is going to get shot in the leg in World War, in World War One. So I'm like this bullet. There we go. How do we fake the bullet? Because they, you know, later they're going to say this bullets from World War One. But now I have a reason for that, too. So it's you. You've messed me up, Tim. Anything <laughs> that I came to this podcast with in my mind is out out the door. You know, it's like I, I have nothing right now. I'm just I'm yours. Just leave me. I have nothing. <laughs> Perfect. I love it. Uh, well, well, what is your reasoning for why he would have a bullet in his leg if it's all in his mind? The therapist that's with him just provided that bullet because she's also bought into this story and wants to believe it so hard that she has access to these bullets from World War One because um, she has all these pictures from it because she was writing a book about it and she gave that to the police and said this is what was in his leg. Because oh. the police, the police, Tim, the police aren't shocked that it was a bullet from World War One. They're like, okay, we have to have a talk with you because this is a bullet from World War One. I'm like, oh, why aren't they shocked? Why aren't yes. they shocked about it? It's because she just gave it to them. I never put that together that's yeah. amazing you just strengthened yeah. my argument now for, for I, I did you. i did i, I just, love because i've been trying to think here about all the things <laughs> the reasons why i think it's for sure time travel and then now i have excuses for all of them i have reasons why they're not dean there's smoke coming out of your ears i know i know i'm just going crazy over here <laughs> that's awesome i really like that i never yeah i never thought about that before nice now back in 1996 James finds Catherine and kidnaps her because he needs her help to get to Philadelphia. And basically at this time, she hasn't seen him in six years. 
She hasn't seen him since he was in the facility and he essentially disappeared. He crawled through the vent, Tim. He crawled, he either got pulled back through time or crawled through the vent. Now, I love how Madeline Stowe in this moment captures fear and curiosity in her acting in this scene because she's terrified. She's terrified. This guy just kidnapped her. A violent inmate has just kidnapped her. But she's also very intrigued by James. Yeah. She she loves his story. Right? Like we we've seen in the movie that she wrote a book about great viruses of the past. So yeah. his story about this virus, she's into it. She's down. And also yeah. the very first time she met him, she said she thought she knew him from somewhere. He felt very familiar. Yeah. And she says that several times in the movie. She's always like, I really feel like I know you from somewhere before. So I like that they're, you know, creating this bond between the two. It's really, really good. Yeah, and it's crucial. Um, it's crucial oh, totally. for some things. Yeah, for some things that are going to happen later in the movie, it needs to be right away. She needs to have, like, bought into a story right away. And you can tell from... 1990 when he was in the facility that she was into it she really wanted to listen to him she really wanted to let him try things you know let him call the number let him do things because she was interested and now yes she's being kidnapped so she's super afraid but she's also curious she's curious about what he's doing and why he's doing it um yeah which is a big crucial point because she's going to make some decisions later where you're like why would you do that but it makes sense because of how she set it up all the way from the beginning here yeah. Now, really, really great scene here as they're driving in the car and James wants her to turn the radio on. And man, this is another scene where we get some really good music, some really good oldies songs that you wouldn't think to put in this movie. But yeah. they put on Blueberry Hill by Fats Domino. They play Wonderful World by Louis Armstrong. And he hears these songs and tears come to his eyes and he says we don't have this in our time you know for sure they don't they don't have music you know they don't have electricity they poo in the corner they don't but yeah he, exactly he, he's hanging his head out of the window breathing the air again saying yeah. just this is such wonderful air and it's such a great moment for him in this movie because he's at peace with the simplest of things with yeah the songs on the radio and the air. I really, I really liked it. It felt like a, like a calm down moment for me in the movie. Things have been going pretty fast, uh, pretty uncomfortable. And then we just sort of settle down here for a second and he gets a chance to settle down. And I I really, really liked it at this moment. I thought it was a really great choice to, to put this scene in the movie. And it is kind of like in a weird way, one of my favorite scenes in the movie. I Tim, I totally agree. I think this stuff with Bruce Willis when he sort of gets like childlike, when he like gets exposed to things that he um that he was used to when he was a kid, you know, like music, like the air, because he went underground when he was like, I can't remember what he said, but when he was like six or eight years old or something, that's when this happened. So he went underground like and hasn't breathed the air since then and hasn't listened to music since then so when he experiences these things he really gets childlike you know he gets he just loves it so much he just loves it with all his heart and this is for me the best bruce willis is in the movie i think he's terrific the entire movie but these moments 
are hard to sell. In these moments, I think he is the best in the movie, and I'm so drawn into them that I, I, I love them. I love these moments when he was just like feeling the music and just so happy that he gets to even listen to it. Uh, it's it's so good. Yeah, it's, it's a great sell that he has actually been underground since he was six years old. It's so good. I'm really surprised he didn't get nominated for this. His range I agree. is uh, unbelievable. His range in this I movie. I agree. The, the different... Yeah. Again, the different emotions that he plays, you know, similar to Madeline Stowe, the emotion yeah. that the emotions he's doing, it's wild, man. He's so, so good. I'm impressed every time I see it. Yep, agreed. So James tells Catherine about his mission. He says his mission is to find the army of the 12 monkeys. They have the virus in its pure form before it's mutated. And when he finds the virus, They'll send a scientist back to study the virus. Then when the scientist goes back to the present, they'll create a cure. And on the radio, we hear a story about a nine-year-old boy stuck in a well. Emergency crews and thousands of people are at the farm where it happened. James says he remembers being very scared for that boy when he was a kid. But then he says, never mind. It's just a prank. A couple of kids mm. hiding in a barn. Yeah. So. Yeah. I I like this a lot. I like that he um, barely, do, barely talks about it. You know, he like, he just says he remembers that when he was a kid and then he just moves past it, you know, doesn't even spend too much time on it. So it's one of those things that, you know, they're just dropping that little breadcrumb for us and they're going to come back to it later. Um, what I really like also is that they kind of set the rules of time travel up. Um but also would make sense if it's all in his head is that he can't change anything. Nothing can be changed. He's just collecting information so that in the future, they can figure out how to cure it by, by coming back to the past, figuring out what the virus is, figuring out the cure for like the antidote for it, and then taking that to the future yes. and bring And so then they all can all like get injected with it and go up into the surface. Exactly. I like that. This time travel is that nothing can be changed. I can't stop it because it already happened. And they don't go into great detail of it. They don't explain to you time travel rules. It's just offhanded comments from Bruce Willis about like, nope, can't change it. We just are going to study it and change our future. It's just, it works both ways. It works that that is time travel. And it also works that that is just in his head. Yeah, totally. It's so yeah. good. Yeah. I mean, I remember him making that comment to the scientists, you know, or not the yeah. scientists, the doctors. When he the was doctors, at the facility, yeah. they're like, you know, he says all these people are going to die. And they say, oh, are you here to save us, James? Yeah. And he's like, I can't save you. You're already dead. I'm just here I collecting information. Yeah, I love yeah. it. So James and Catherine get to Philadelphia and James finds a sign of the 12 monkeys. They have like this spray paint logo that they use and he yeah. sees it on the wall. He gets very excited. He jumps out of the car. And Catherine has a chance to get away here, but she doesn't. This is a great moment for her because yeah. her character is the viewer's guiding light to normality in this movie. As long as she's affirmed in her belief that this is all in James Cole's head, we sort of have to believe that as well. So when she also starts to believe in what he's saying, I think it's a really fun turn. It's a great turn and it's it is very necessary if 
we are going to get further along in this movie thinking it's all in his head because she's going to have to play a role in that. So her buying into it is also big. It's a big deal that she buys into it. So this is the moment where he gets out of the car and you're just screaming, drive away. What are you doing? So this is like an obvious drive away moment. It's so obvious that her not doing it is a big sign. It's a big yeah. sign that she has bought into what he's talking about and she wants to know more. Yeah, she thought about driving away, but she's she's intrigued. Yeah. I also like this moment for Bruce Willis, um, who's been doing a great job so far of playing confused, playing sedated, yeah. playing chill. But this is a moment where he finds the 12 monkeys sign and you can see his obsession with this mission. Um, and it yeah. really starts to come out now because he is so excited that he might actually be onto something here. It, his whole yeah. character kind of flips. It was really interesting. Well, actually finding like the antidote for it is huge for him in the future because he loves the air. He loves music. He loves everything about the surface. So he wants, he does want to find that cure so that they can get back onto the surface. They can, I think he says they can take the world back is, is, is a line he uses. Um, you know, they, that they can reclaim the earth. Uh, that's big for him. And so he's very excited to see the, to see the next clue, to actually see like a, a little clue for him. Yeah. I think even in a smaller way, like he's yeah. excited that he's doing something right. Like all he's been doing this whole time is he's getting, True. he's been doing things wrong. He's been getting ripped on by the scientist. This is the first moment where he actually is onto something. He's like a detective who has found the the first like big lead that he needed. And he's so excited about it. And it's a, it really means a lot because it means like he's doing something good here. He's doing the right thing finally. Yeah, very true. So James quickly finds the headquarters of the 12 monkeys and he goes in and Dean, what were you thinking when James finds this headquarters, these headquarters and he goes in? Cause we've been looking for the 12 monkeys. They did it. Yeah. And he just walks in their front door. What were you thinking? I was very excited, very excited for him to go in here. You know, like this is what we've been waiting for. Okay, great. He's got the door. What is this going to be? What are we going to see? He opens it up. It's a pet store. Like, that's what it is. It's, you know, there's, there's, there's animal sounds happening, you know, that like of a, of a lion happening on like a, 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 a speaker system. I'm like, what's going on? You know, I'm so confused. I'm so confused that we like have teed up this army of the 12 monkeys. We walk in and it seems to be the wrong place to me. You know, it's like it builds all that up for you. And then you walk in and it's like, no, this is not it. We're in the wrong place. Okay, I guess we got to follow more clues. Um, so that's what I was feeling definitely the first time I was watching it. Um, this time around, you know, knowing, I mean, I've seen it so many times, knowing he's walking in here, I'm thinking like, this is pretty cool. This is a cool, like, it, it just leads you down the path towards the ending of like, it's neat that he walks into this area and he walks into this like sort of, I think it's a pet store, right? It's is that what it is? I don't know what it is. I don't think yeah. it's a pet store. Uh, it's just it's um a space they've rented. They've filled it up okay. with books. They've got there's like plants they've got everywhere. Animals. They've got plants. Yeah. They've got animal sounds playing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Anyways, it's uh yeah you walk into this like unins unassuming place and it's just like oh okay um so I think it's cool 
this watch around that we get here, you know, and lower the expectations for the audience and think we've walked into the wrong spot. Yeah, totally. Uh, I do remember watching it in the theater and getting to this moment and thinking it's too early to yeah. find the 12 monkeys. Like the movie's For only sure. half done. This doesn't make any sense. I wonder where it's going to go from here. So to figure out that this wasn't really what he was looking for, I thought was really neat. But what we do get out of this meeting with these, you know, three people is that Jeffrey is involved with the 12 monkeys. So that was a neat thing yeah. to pull in that that character is now involved in a bigger picture here. Definitely. And James wants to know a little bit more about that. And he's able to find Jeffrey's address while he's there. And he wants to pay him a visit. Yeah. Uh, on the way there with Catherine, she sees that he's been shot and pulls over to help get the bullet out. Then James locks her in the trunk of a car and goes to visit Jeffrey, who pretends to not know James until James says he's here about some monkeys. <laughs> and another really fun scene here. Lots going on. Dean, what did you like about this scene at Jeffrey's house? Um, a lot. I like a lot. So again, as a teenager, I'm just disoriented from it. Like, because the last time we saw Jeffrey... You know, he was in the facility. Um, he was just screaming all the time, flipping things over. And now, you know, we we go to him in like a tuxedo at like a dinner party. And it's just like, honestly, I'm like, is this even the same guy? Like, yeah, that's, totally. That's how that's how my brain's working. You know, as a teenager watching this, it's like it's so disorienting. It, it's just like, what is what is even going on? I, I think this this might be sort of my. I, I like maybe my favorite Brad Pitt part is this part. It, it's he's obviously excellent before he's excellent when the first time we see him, but this is so um, he's like trying to be more subtle about it because he just like claims that he doesn't know Bruce Willis um, who's, who's there to see him. He wants to, he wants to talk to him. And I love Bruce Willis in the scene. Cause he's sweating so much, you know, he's just <laughs> like, he's so dirty and disgusting. He's and he's so at this sweaty. Like, black... That's so true. So sweaty. He's at this black tie event. I think it's because he just <laughs> ran through the forest to get there. I think is why. Yeah, he's so probably, sweaty. probably he's at this black tie event and he's coming to talk to Jeffrey. So I like that Jeffrey blows him off right away, even though he knows who he is. And we know he knows who he is because he, he says later exactly who he is. So he blows him off. And then, you know, Bruce Willis mentions 12 monkeys. He gets a little nervous. And so then he, you know, he starts talking to him. And uh, I love it. I love when we get to the part where Jeffrey tells, you know, Jeffrey basically tells him that, tells Bruce Willis that this was his idea. Like his, his idea was to come up with a virus that could kill everybody. Yeah. Um, it leads us to believe that Jeffrey is the one that is making a virus to kill everyone and that it was Bruce Willis's idea. Yes. I think it's great. I think it's an excellent development in the plot. It gets me so psyched at this point. It is really cool because it's true. Yeah. Because back in that scene where yeah. Jeffrey moons the orderlies and has a, you know, a pillow yeah. fight. <laughs> yeah. Um, Bruce Willis did mention something about a virus wiping out the world because Jeffrey was going on about the germs uh, yeah. at that time. And like, you know, 
people a hundred years ago thought germs were crazy. And Bruce Willis mentioned to him about this virus that would wipe the world out. So it makes sense that yes, he could have planted that in Jeffrey's mind and Jeffrey could be doing something like that. And we haven't really mentioned it yet, but Jeffrey's father is like a world famous virologist, like studying viruses. So this now makes it all accessible for Jeffrey to do something like this. So it's really, really cool. Um, When Jeffrey says that to James, James gets very upset by that, right? Because that's very upset. That's not what his mission is. His mission is to find out, you know, gather information, try to stop this. He doesn't want to hear that he might be the one who did it. So he gets very upset and he storms out. Well, Jeffrey has another classic outburst. But Dean, I wanted to ask you, what did you think of Bruce Willis's escape run out of this house? Because I thought it was pretty epic. The Honestly, the escape run is great. It's absolutely great, especially because they're like, you know, the, the two the two agents or security uh, security officers or whatever that are looking for him. You know, they kind of we don't see what happens. We don't see how he escapes, but they kind of run into each other and they're like, where is he? I don't know. How could he just disappear? And then you cut to him just booking it in the forest. He has just given her. He's running so great. Bruce Willis is a great runner. I love it. I love it because we've already had a scene where he disappeared. So I think in even this time around, I've seen the movie 25 times or whatever. Even this time around, I'm like, did he get sucked back to the future? Like, have they sucked? Because they're just like, oh, he disappeared. You know, we can't find him. Maybe he got sucked back to the future. Cut to him running in the forest. He's actually just a great escape artist. Yeah, this, uh, this, is, this is the part we were talking about before. Yeah. Where they, th- they say, oh, he just disappeared. He could yeah. have just disappeared. He didn't. He just escaped. And he's running through the he forest. Escaped. Fuck, it's so uh, good. I, I love this, this escape scene, though, because, like, he yeah. jumps from two stories up down below and he doesn't have a soft landing he lands no. hard very hard on a leg that's already damaged but he just gets up and he's like hunched over running he's smashing into people he's tripping over desks and tables i loved this escape run dean i really really liked it he he now i don't think it was bruce willis doing all of it there was definitely like stunt yeah. people doing the running but whoever that stunt person was really nailed this run scene What's so good about it is that he still has a bullet in his leg. And like... Well, the bullet's out, but he still has like a wound. Right. Sorry, sorry. He still has a... Yeah, he still has a bullet wound in his leg. And you're like watching it happen. And oh, you as feel he's, it. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. As he's running, yeah. as he's landing, as he's falling over things, and as he's running in the in the forest... You can like tell, you know, you can feel it like reminds you, you know, he's good at reminding you without it being a hindrance, you know, it's like, oh yeah, he has a huge wound in his leg and I can, I can kind of feel it right now. I can feel it. Yeah. That's a great point. Yeah. He, he sucks it up, you know? Yeah. He sucks it up. To uh, steal a line from Jesse Ventura. He doesn't have time to bleed, Dean. He's got, he's got bigger things on his mind. Like you can tell how many times in this movie he's in pain and suffering, but he doesn't have time for that. That's not his mission. His mission is to save the future. So he runs, he gets up and he runs no matter what kind of pain he's in. It's great. It's awesome. 
Now, James lets Catherine out of the trunk, and he's starting to wonder, because of what Jeffrey said, if he actually was the one who released the virus. So it's a kind of a neat twist here. Uh, it, but can can I just interject? It's a, it's sure. a neat twist, but it, it 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 goes against his logic of of time travel. How could he change the future? How could he have been the one to start the you know the virus? Like it it already happened. He says like he's not there to save everyone, so then he can't uh, he can't affect the future. So why does he think that he affected the future? by talking, you know, by, by talking to Brad Pitt. Like, it's just, this is just, like, honestly, Tim, I'm just coming fully around so that it's all in his head, <laughs> which is wild with this movie because I think we do, I think you're right. I think we do get to the end where it just, like, sells us fully that it's, it is time travel and everything was true. But this is so inconsistent that he would actually think right. that it affected the future. So I have, I have the counter argument to that of okay. why I think it makes sense that him being from the future would go on to say something like this. Perfect. I think it's because he's starting to spend so much time in 1996 and with Catherine, he yeah, yeah. just decides enough is enough. He'd rather just live in 1996 in that time with her than continue on with the time travel stuff. So I feel like he's trying to convince himself that he is sick so that what she's telling him is true so that he can just stay there with her. I agree. This is where that switch is happening. This is exactly where that switch is happening, where he wants to believe that he is actually just sick so he can live there. But what's great about it is you have the contrast now of Catherine, who is now flipping to the other side. She's yeah. coming, becoming like fully entrenched in his story. It's really, really yeah. interesting. So good. But uh, the police are closing in on them, Dean, um, because of his visit to that party. Catherine starts honking the horn to get their attention, and then James disappears while she's there. Yeah. So, James... And we get the audio. We, we do get sort of the audio cue of it, of him splashing in yep. the water. And then his splashing stops. She looks, and he's gone. And there's still splashes in the water. So it almost seems, it seems physically impossible that he could have actually run out of there it looks like he disappeared but again we just had two people talking about that he can't just disappear into thin air and then we cut to him actually running in the woods so maybe maybe he was just running again in the woods exactly it's very possible because she's yeah. not looking when she's he not disappears looking. she's honking she's the horn looking. and we hear him splashing then the splashing stops she turns around like you said and he's gone it's so good now james wakes up to the scientists singing to him. They're very pleased with what he did this time. They yeah. say he did it. He connected the army of the 12 monkeys to a world-famous virologist, Jeffrey's father. James isn't buying it, though. He says they're not real. You can't travel through time. Catherine now also has a few things happen to her. I really loved these moments in the movie, and how they weaved them into the story. I thought it was fantastic. Um, she hears that the boy that is stuck in the well was just a prank. Exactly the way James said earlier. That it was a couple yeah. boys hiding in the barn. Then the ballistics report on the bullet from James's leg comes back. And the bullet is from 1920. 
And then she has an old picture of his buddy, Jose, who was in the war. We didn't really get into it, but he was ranting about the virus way back in 1920 here. So she kind of studied him a little bit and she had a photograph of him. She pulls out that photograph, unfolds half of it that's been folded up, and she sees James is in the picture. Yeah. So with all of that information and James saying that 5 billion people are going to die, she really starts to consider what if she's wrong about him. Yeah, definitely. She starts to get on board with it because of all that information together. And I think what's really crucial about that is that um, we've seen that picture, but we've seen that picture cropped. Yeah. And when that picture was presented to a room full of people, it was the cropped picture. Yeah. So she is now the only one who is looking at that picture and seeing that it is James. So it could be just her buying into it. Right. And it's really fuzzy. It's a really fuzzy picture. She could just be like, that's James. He's in the World War One. That's him right there. Yeah. I love it, man. I love it. I love how you're how you're doing this. How <laughs> you're finding I'm totally flipped. Moments, like I'm just all like these totally that you're flipped. flipped on now. It's great. I'm totally flipped. I'm probably making a ton of people uh, upset <laughs> out there because they're just like obviously he time travels, man. Stop trying to try, stop trying to say it's in his head. But I I only like to buy into these things if they are there and the movie presents it to us and I didn't think this one did and then you brought me all the way around. I think it does. I think it is presenting to us that it could be all in his head. At well, least so far. We'll we'll get to yeah. the end. Like I said, they yeah. they definitively tell you at the end what happened. At the end, yeah. But yeah. I always liked that it was a perfect representation of both all the way till the end. So yeah, I'm glad totally. that you're coming yeah. around to that. Yeah, awesome. Now, after telling the scientists he doesn't believe in time travel, James has had a change of heart here. He does want to go back and try again. He apologizes for his behavior. He says the brain wasn't meant to exist in two time periods. So James shows up again in 1996 at the 12 Monkeys headquarters. Catherine is there trying to figure stuff out. And he tells her he thinks he's mentally divergent, just like she told him, and that he wants to get better. So this is like the full 180 flip for these two characters, where he now thinks he does have mental issues And she is fully believing in his uh, story of time travel. Yeah. Um, And kind of to go a little bit further, I don't really know what this means, Dean, but it was something I noticed. All of the previous times that he traveled through time, apparently, he kind of landed naked um, Mm. when he was a believer of the time travel. This time, we see him, he lands, and he's, he's fully clothed. True. I don't know what that means, but when he decided that he did have mental issues, he had he was fully clothed. I mean, that it's weird. Just, it's weird. It's just further proof, Tim, that it's all going on in his head. Yeah, I don't. I don't know, <laughs> Dean. Don't don't try to turn my opinion of the movie. I already have my opinion. It's set. Sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> um, but yeah, this is kind of like where I. This is where I felt that it was becoming obvious that he just wants to stay with her in 96. For sure. Yeah. Catherine reminds him of the phone number he called in 1990. And now that he's in the right year, maybe they should try that number again. So Catherine uses a payphone to call. 
she comes back to James and says, everything's fine. They're not crazy. She called the number and all it was was a carpet cleaning company where you could leave a message. And she tells James she left a hilarious message. She told them to watch out for the 12 Monkeys, the Freedom for Animals Association on 2nd Avenue. And then James joins in saying the rest of the message with her. Is the secret headquarters of the army of the 12 Monkeys. They're the ones who are going to do it. I can't do any more. I have to go now. Have a Merry Christmas. And this great moment, it utterly stops Catherine like dead in her tracks. Yeah. She, she says, there's no way you could have known that. The phone was too far away. You couldn't have heard that, you know. And James says that they got her message. Yeah. And that's why they've been on the trail of the 12 monkeys this entire time. It was her Yeah, fault. this is... That's awesome, dude. It was her her prank call had the future chasing down these 12 monkeys. That is such a cool idea. Yeah. I love I love the idea. This is the moment where they both buy into it, you know, like cuz he's been he's been not wanting to buy into it. Um she's been wanting to buy into it, but then when she called the number and it was a carpet cleaning, she's like, "Oh, it's fine. Like we're just you know, we're insane. It's it, it wasn't actually true. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then when he can recite it back to her, like that is the moment they both come together. So it is a great moment between them. I, I, I'm with you, Tim. I love that that so many things that happen at the end of this movie. This is sort of the first as it starts going yeah. is that like things we thought were very important aren't, you know, and it's like her her call to the future. That was just a joke has been all the, th the the only evidence they can base this off of, you know, the only thing they're going off of and what's turned them on to thinking that, you know, the the 12 monkeys is what sent out this virus. So that's what they put all their resources into finding the 12 monkeys because of this uh this prank call. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's uh it's, it's cool. fun stuff and it's gonna, it's going to keep going. It's going to keep going as the movie goes on. I think they do a really good job with the idea of time travel in this movie. And how it I works. agree, yeah. I think yeah. it's it's really tight. Um, yep. It's not confusing. It makes a lot of sense. And they did what was needed to tell the story and just make everything work. Yeah, it honestly, it's so elegant because it's like it, it there's no rules, it's not confusing, and there's no holes. Yeah. You know, it's like it's so simple. Yet there's no holes in it because of exactly how they've sort of built it. I think it is fantastic. Yeah, time travel um, logic going on in this movie that there's there's nothing to, you know, that, that that's kind of the problem sometimes with time travel movies. It's like, well, you poke a hole in something. There's nothing to do that with here. And it's just so simple. It's so simple to understand. Yeah, man, it's such a tight script. Ugh. Yeah. So Jeffrey and his group, the 12 Monkeys are not responsible for the release of the virus, Dean. We learn that their plan all along was to release animals from the zoo. And we see elephants, tigers, bears, giraffes, all roaming the city streets. And this is just more contrasting visuals in the movie. Animals running through a city. Two things that do not belong together. Yeah. It looks... 
It feels um, odd. It feels it feels odd. It looks odd. great. It feels odd. It feels odd. Um, you know, giraffes running down the bridge, uh, elephants running around. I think it looks really good. It reminds me of um, a lot of other scenes in the movie where they've kind of pulled back and given a very a, a further view of things. Um, and I've just thought that it looks really good. Like when they pull back, I'm just like, this must be CGI somehow because like there's no way this area is this big and there's right. no way that I'm looking at that. And it looks so good. And that's that's the same thing with all these animal um, shots. I'm like, we're pulling back and we're watching giraffes run on a bridge. And I'm like, that looks really good. <laughs> that looks yeah. like there's giraffes running on a bridge. So yeah, for 1995, whatever they were doing with these visual effects look awesome. Everything looks great. And they're going to do a lot of those sort of pullback shots to show you a lot of stuff. And it still looks good. Yeah, it's pretty seamless. Catherine wants them just to escape from the city. And she says in a couple of weeks, they'll know for sure whether or not the virus is true. So they disguise themselves. And James sees her in a blonde wig and says it was always her in his dream. She says she felt like she always knew him. They go to the airport. They walk in. And James says this is his dream. He was here before as a kid. And he thinks she was there as well. James tries the phone number one last time. And he leaves a message that says, I don't know if you're there or not. Maybe you just clean carpets. If you do, you're lucky. You're going to live a long, happy life. If you are the guys that are out there and you're picking this up, forget about the army of the 12 monkeys. They didn't do it. It was a mistake. Someone else did. The army of the 12 monkeys is just a bunch of dumb kids playing revolutionaries. I've done my job. I did what you said. I'm not coming back. And a wild final sequence here, Dean, as yeah. we, we see the little boy from James's dream walking into the airport and the mother calls him James. James's buddy Jose from the war shows up with a gun, gives it to James so that James can shoot the guy who's going to release the virus. Yeah. He says he's there because of the phone call James just made. Yeah. Cool. Love it. And the guy who is releasing the virus turns out to be Jeffrey's father's assistant, who we've seen a couple times already in the movie and who Definitely gives off weirdo vibes. Oh, for sure. I love the way that they reveal him too, because in one of the earlier scenes with James and the scientists, they're going over all of the details. Like, this is what you need to know. And they say, this is where the virus started. And these are the consecutive cities that it was released in. And they make him yeah. memorize that. And we see... Jeffrey's father's assistant. <laughs> I should have looked up his name. Shit. We see Jeffrey's father's assistant. <laughs> I know the actor's name. Yeah, yeah, I know. He's from Contact. I love him. Yeah, he's great. Uh, he gives his boarding pass to yeah. the stewardess, and she reads off the exact same list of cities that James had to memorize. 
And and she's like, oh, wow, you're going on quite the trip, aren't you? And he's like, yes, yes, I am. So kill everybody. That's when we pick it up as the audience is when we hear all those cities listed again. We know this is the guy. This is the guy who's got the virus. And he's got a weird briefcase, too. So that was a really, really great moment. Awesome. Because they kept they kept them a secret all the way till the end. Yeah, they that that that's true in in sort of a movie that's like got its mysteries, but is showing a lot. Um, it is actually keeping a lot from us. And it's stuff we don't even know because we think we're unraveling the mystery as we're going. So like this part that they're not even showing us doesn't feel at the end like it was like 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 they were lying to us or anything you know it's just something we didn't see it's just a part of the movie we weren't watching um and so when it comes at the end it's like oh okay it's a it's a good reveal it doesn't make us feel like you know we were lied to the whole movie yeah that's a great point we really feel like while we're watching this movie that we're a part of the team of of james and Catherine. like we we, yeah they trying to figure it out we're trying to figure it out but we're figuring it out as they're figuring it out it's tough to pull that off in a movie to make us feel so yeah. connected to these characters and feel like we're on the same path as them. So it's just a, it's a, just a, an amazing movie. It really is an amazing movie. Yeah. It's great. The, the weirdo, he actually releases the virus here at security when they question him about the vials he has in his briefcase and he has to open it up to show them. And he pops yeah the cork and he releases the virus and yeah man he is uncomfortable to watch he is really excited about killing five billion people he's very slimy yeah Catherine recognizes him though because she had an encounter with him earlier and she sends james to kill him now that james has this gun And then the movie plays out exactly like the dream sequence we've seen so many times already. Yeah. James runs through security with the gun. He bumps into the young kid and the kid watches as James gets shot by the police and Catherine runs past the boy to James. And damn, dude, did I feel sad for James here as he's lying shot on the ground and dying. Yeah. I mean, hats off to Bruce Willis for his acting um, in this scene. This was incredible. What we just watched him go through in this movie for it to come to an end like this is just, it's really tough. Like this guy was just put through the meat grinder, you know, the one, I mean, there's maybe two, happy moments for him in this movie, maybe three, like when he gets to breathe fresh air and listen to music. Yeah. Uh, he gets to kiss Catherine at one point. Like that's it. That's as good as it gets for him. The rest of it is just being drugged through the shit and to see yeah, him sure. kind of die here. And he, you know, he hasn't, he didn't do it. He didn't do anything yet. Like we don't know that he, he did anything. We just see him failing. So it's, it's a, t- it's a yeah, tough moment. It's super rough because he didn't get the guy. You know, that's what he was running after and he didn't get him. He just got shot running after him with a gun. So it's super tough. Um, I, when you when you see that dream playing over and over. I don't really ever think it's him. I don't really ever think it's him, the one that's getting shot. 
like i mean i obviously when i know the ending i do but like when i'm watching it for the first time and they replay that dream over and over i'm never i'm never thinking it's him because you i just didn't think that he would be the one who dies you know who gets shot there i thought he was going to be the one to succeed and to like actually be the hero or do whatever he needed to do like get yeah get the intel that he needed and he's there to kill the guy that's going to release the virus even though we know he can't change the future uh he's there to do it and he gets shot doing it yeah it's 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 a really rough moment it's it's tough they have some beautifully sad music playing at the same time for sure uh, yeah heartbreaking now we see Catherine look around and she sees the young boy who is James and smiles at him. We see the weirdo get on the plane. He sits in his seat and sitting beside him is a lady that we recognize as one of the scientists from the future. And the movie ends the same way it began with the full screen shot of young James's eyes and the end. Now, Dean, with all of the contrast in the movie, uh, I spared the listeners a whole bunch of contrasting things because I felt like they were getting tired of hearing me say contrast. I was right. getting tired of saying it. I'm going to say it one more time, though. The close-up on James's eyes, the way this movie started... And the way the movie finished at the very beginning, his eyes were wide open. They were full of wonder and intensity. And at the end, the eyes were drooping in sadness. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome ending. I love when movies start and end the same way. (laughs) I just think it's really cool. You know, so on the uh, ending, starting on the eyes, ending on the eyes. Um, Very cool. Uh, yeah, we, we went through a journey with this character and that's where we are at the end. We're at the drooping eyes. So the initial cut was not going to have us see the scientists at the end. Yeah. Okay. And we weren't going to see young James walking out of the airport to the car, which would have left us just with the dream sequence of James getting shot at the end and dying, which would have created a loop scenario And we wouldn't have actually known whether this was time travel or not. But the inclusion of the scene with the scientist sitting beside the weirdo in the airplane solidifies that this was a time travel experience. Unless you wanted to believe that she was just a random person that he had seen and he thought of or, or whatever. But... They were trying to say at the end that this was a time travel story by placing the scientists there. I think they were, Tim. I agree with you. They placed the scientists there. She was talking to the weirdo and she like introduced herself to the weirdo. And I think that's because she wanted to get the information from him about the virus so that she could then go to the future and fix everything like come up with the antidote. That was the whole plan was that she would learn about the virus and then she would go fix the future. But if this is a kid who went through a traumatic experience when he was young, and then that's how he's progressed, no, no, that doesn't work either because the kid, the kid is the kid in the present times. He's not, if we think that it's all in Bruce Willis's head, then he's not that kid. Right? 
if we think it's all in Bruce Willis's head, then he can't be that kid. So then that woman at the airport in the seat on the flight has to be the scientist from the future. Yeah, I, I think it. I think it does. I don't think there's any other reading of that. No, I don't think so. I think, I think there's. I think at in, at the end of it, with him seeing the kid in the airport, and like he wouldn't have been able to just know about that kid and say that this was his dream. Yeah. He, he was here before. I think that whole end sequence solidifies it because there, there's no other way for him to have known about that. Have, have yeah, had I think those the kid, feelings. Yeah. The kid being a real kid and not just part of the dream sequence is, is definitely solidifying that, uh, that is time travel because yeah, there's no other way that that could be possible. And, and um, on top of that, Dean, um, Catherine makes a point of searching for him in the crowd, making eye contact with him yeah. because that is an important thing in the, in the movie is that is their connection. Right. And the right. idea that she knows him already, she keeps saying, I, I feel like I know you from somewhere. It's because she knew him. She saw him as a kid. That 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 at that time, right? Yeah, but all that stuff where she says, I know you from somewhere happened before she saw him as a kid. That's stuff I don't get where she says, I know you from somewhere because I think that's, that's part of the that's part of the time travel loop. I think what she's remembering is she's remembering him as the kid. I, I think that that's the connection she has with him. Yeah, but it hasn't happened yet when she says that. Right. But now we're getting into time travel logistics where it does happen at the end here, which helps kind of like, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I don't understand. We got to get the scientists on it. We got to get the scientists explaining it to us. (laughs) I'm not talking to them. You can talk to them. Okay. Because like I'm trying to, so what I'm trying to do right now is trying to figure out how that scientist woman scientist on the plane could be still part of the delusion. And I don't think it is. I don't think there's a way, unless she was just like in the airport, but it, so this is where you start to like, your brain starts to fry a bit because you're trying to put time together in a linear fashion. Um, so that's, yeah, that's where it kind of falls apart. If they had shown us her in the airport, if they showed us James seeing her in the airport, then it could have just been a person, but they don't. Yeah. They make a point of leaving her out we only see her as the audience after James has been killed on the plane, coincidentally sitting next to this dude. And for that reason, I think it's very obvious that, that yes, she is a scientist and um, it is about time travel. And I believe I even read so much that Terry Gill- Gilliam was like, yes, this is about time travel. And I left these scenes in to show that, show that much. Make sure. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. That's the way I've always read it, but I loved this conversation for uh, challenging me to think the other way. I love that you uh, went through that, um, went through those emotions, Dean. This was a it was lot an of experience. Fun. It was yeah, a lot of fun. It was just, fun. I was just watching you like reeling in your imagination and trying to figure out I what's was. going on. That was a lot of fun. It was. Yeah, I've, I've watched it so many times that I've never thought that once in my life. And then you did it. You did the one thing, whatever it was you said, clicked for me halfway through here. And uh, that's all I've been thinking about since. Your face, most of this episode, reminded me of James <laughs> Cole listening to music with his head out of the window, breathing fresh <laughs> air. It was amazing. I'm just like a kid seeing the movie for the first time again. <laughs> I love it.
Cool. That was a lot of fun. All right, cool. everyone listening, if you're looking for a way to support Talking Back, there's a few ways you can do that. You can tell your friends about our show. Tell them what you like about us, why you listen. Also, you can head over to iTunes and give us a five-star rating and leave a review. You can also send us a one-time donation of any amount by going to buymeacoffee.com slash talkingback. Or you can sign up to be a patron and gain access to exclusive episodes over at patreon.com slash talkingbackpodcast. And now that this episode's over, don't worry. Head on over to the bfopnetwork.com and check out one of the other amazing nostalgia-based podcasts in our network. We promise you'll find something you like. Dean, thank you for joining. Thanks, Tim. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Have you been wondering where's the beef? Well, on our podcast, Throwback Trivia Takedown, you might just find that out, as well as some other things about the 70s, 80s, and 90s. We're a nostalgic-based trivia show that pits two challengers head-to-head in a duel of the decades, with categories ranging from movies, TV and music, to slang, food, and fashion. You're sure to get the best in retro-themed trivia. So strap on your jelly shoes, grab a surge, and walk like an Egyptian to your favorite podcast app and check out Throwback Trivia Takedown. I heard even Mikey likes it.